What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 173. People have spent more time in jail for killing someone than we've done producing this show. I am one of your hosts, the still legally sound of mind and body, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, the talent, the tired talent of Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy despite being tired. Um, I would like to point out, though, that people spending more time in prison for killing someone than we've done producing your show is generally considered a preferable outcome. You know, I, I'd suggest, you know, maybe the idea that they spent uh, less time in prison. <laughs> okay, than, okay. Uh, I was off the fly. Don't, don't pick at me. Don't, don't judge my jokes, man. Um, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh how have you been this week you i believe are in uh new new gainful employment which is exciting yes yes this is this is officially week two of my new adult job shall we say and um absolutely loving it but my brain i i can you know people always joke in the past that the fried brain oh what's that all about blah 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 you must have a fried brain for working in retail for 20 odd years blah 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 blah. my brain genuinely feels like it's fried at the moment but in a good way it's fried and stimulated and those the, the fatty juices are cooking nicely with the butter of a brand new job and it tastes good in the kitchen <laughs> this is what we call stretching the metaphor um <laughs> I'm going to my way out of this hole by saying yeah, we have well, got a good show for you, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we No, do. dig up, stupid. <laughs> we'll dig a bigger hole. Um, um, we have a pretty good one this week. What have we got on this week? We have got Travis's pick for Chain Movie of the Week, leading on from um, Best in Show, which had a nice... Um, a nice turn by the wonderfully talented Jennifer Coolidge. We are following her to t- 2021 and Promising Young Woman, starring Carrie Mulligan. Um, and then we will talk about the new big Marvel movie that has released Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumanium, the first true introduction because he was uh, officially it unofficially introduced to the mcu care of loki season one of kang and particularly this version of him identifies as kang the conqueror the new big bad of the mcu for for a while by the looks of the release schedule and coming up with avengers the kang dynasty and all of that stuff that they've got planned for the next five years and we are sticking on that jonathan majors train with his war movie devotion care of netflix we teased it a few weeks ago and we finally got around to talking about it because it yeah seems to make sense why not have one jonathan majors thing we'll talk about another and of course we've got the next big thing binge burn and browse is back show it up let's get to it shall we so travis introduce us to your chain movie of the week promising young woman as uh, it's noted, uh, came out in, actually it's noted from being from 2020, but I think it was released in various years, released here in 2021, but yeah, maybe in other um, territories, 2020, 
due yeah. to the uh, COVID pandemic. Um, a uh, young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Mm-hmm. This is written and directed by Emerald Fennell. This is her debut feature as a writer mm-hmm. and director. Uh, you might know her best from playing Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. Okay. Uh, that is actually the only thing I'd ever seen her in. Um, but uh, she was also a writer on a TV show, uh, Killing Eve, uh, which oh, yeah. I know was very popular. And mm-hmm. as an actor, she'd appeared in various British productions, as she is, of course, British. Mm-hmm. Um, as you noted, stars, stars Carrie Mulligan as Cassandra or Cassie. Uh, mm-hmm. Bo Burnham, probably better known as a stand-up comic than an actor, as yeah. uh, Ryan. Um, we've got some fairly familiar names in here as well. The great Clancy Brown, Kurgan himself, playing yep. Cassie Dad Stanley. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge plays her mum Susan, mm-hmm. and we have some familiar faces in the in the uh, in Alison Brie, uh, Adam Brody, uh, Laverne Cox, uh, and Class, also known as Mc- McLovin. Yep. Um, Will he ever live that down? I I severely doubt it. Um, and this is one of the films. Uh, you, you're right when you noted last week. I have seen this before. It's a bit of a cheat for me. Uh, it literally popped in my Facebook memories. I think yesterday, two years ago, <laughs> is when I saw this film for the first time. And I remember saying afterwards to somebody who asked me what I thought of it, "I feel like I need a bath after this film." Um, it, it's certainly a film. It stays with you. It stayed yes. with me all the way through 2021 after I saw it. And I thought it should have done significantly better at the Oscars than it did. It mm-hmm. did win one Oscar. I believe it won Best Original Screenplay for Emerald Fennell. Um, so. Which was, yes, uh, Best Original Screenplay. It was not over for a few other awards. It, it did not uh, win them. But, you know, I mean, Best mm-hmm. Original Screenplay is the one you give it when you're like, it's probably the best film of the year, but we can't vote for this because it's a bit distasteful. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prize. We don't, we don't think we can give you best director. You use the f bomb too much in the n word. So we're going to give you this as your consolation prize. Uh, that's why I think everything, everywhere, all at once is going to win best original screenplay. Not just because it is the best original screenplay of the year. It's because mm. I'm not sure it's the kind of film they're going to feel comfortable giving best picture or best director. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's not a musical. Uh, it's not directed by Spielberg. It's not a feel-good movie. It's not a biopic. Nobody's yeah. disabled in it, you know. Yeah. Um, and the butt plug scene—I just think it'll be too distasteful for um, <laughs> the the, uh, the the Christmas committee who vote for it. But anyway, I hope I'm wrong. Yes, <laughs> this thoroughly deserved that award. As it's a wonderful mm-hmm. film. Um, yes. Cassie, we meet early on mm. uh, in a bar, seemingly absolutely off her face drunk and it doesn't really even seem to know where she is mm-hmm. uh she's noticed by adam brody playing yep. jerry and some mm-hmm. of his colleagues who look like they're at a bar for work drinks mm. they note that she doesn't seem to know where she is and she's totally wasted and by herself and the conversation's almost predatory yeah uh, jerry sort of volunteers to go over and talk to her sort of putting himself in the role of the nice guy who's just going over to make sure she's okay. Mm. And, uh, you know, she knows where she is and nothing's going to happen and that she can get home. She seems to have lost her phone. So uh, Jerry uh, agrees to organise a cab slash Uber mm. to get her home. Uh, while we're in the process of going home, 
he, I guess, I don't know, I'd be, I'd be interested in your thoughts, whether he decided to do it or he'd always meant to do it. He tells the cab driver instead to take him to his apartment rather than her place to drop her off, uh, mm. where he tries to ply her with more alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then what can only be described as sexually assaults her, basically, uh, yeah. in under the belief that she is too drunk to do anything about it. Uh, yeah. The kicker here is, and I think I'm spoiling it too much because this is the first 15 minutes of a film, is she's not drunk at all. She knows exactly where she is, exactly what's going on. She's completely lucid. She's just playing drunk. Yeah. Um, and while he's removing her underwear uh, and violating her, essentially, uh, she, is, he, she looks up and she, she says, what are you doing? A few times in that drunk tone of voice. Mm. And says, hey, what are you doing? And to the absolute look of terror, on Jerry's face when he realizes exactly what's going on, and that's mm. that's where our film opens. That's what she does for fuck. She fucks with guys who are trying to take advantage and sexually assault women who are too drunk to can know where they are or what's going on. Yeah, you say for fun. Do you actually think it's for fun, or do you? No, think I'm being it's... a bit facetious there. Yeah. Is it for fun? Yeah. It's what she does in her spare time. Um, yeah, that's what she does with her life, and we sort of mm. meet her parents later on, who realize that what she's doing—maybe not entirely cognizant of what she's doing—out mm. on the weekends or out at clubs. Yeah. But they wanted to have something. They know she's not doing anything particularly constructive with her life, yeah. and would like her to do, settle down and actually start living a life mm. um, uh, that's you know a little bit more normal or rewarding, or a life really, because she's not living at all. She's basically doing no. this as a way. It's almost a, it's almost a revenge pact, you know, one-sided revenge pact she has for her friend Nina, who was raped and assaulted in medical school and has subsequently killed herself. Mm. And these actions were not directly uh, targeted at the men or people who are responsible. This is sort of her way of of, of getting back at, at the mm. you know society and men in particular who she blames for killing her friend. Mm. It's. Um... It's an interesting movie because, it, like, it's it's got the the like genre tag of thriller, which it's um, on uh, uh, Apple TV where I rented it, and yeah, it's got thriller elements. Um, on IMDb, it's listed under crime, drama, and mystery. It's like yeah, it's all got those elements, but it very much da- dances around all of those and. For me, looking at the whole movie, it's almost like a bastardized slasher movie from the point of view of the slasher. Because we are watching her go through and unilaterally just seek revenge or decimation of someone she doesn't particularly care who she is she has got her own set of rules and we are slowly over over the course of the story as more information is revealed as to her reasons why we are become more and more empathetic to her um it's it's a weird one because none of the guys are sympathetic in any way shape or form so it's not the kind of movie where it's a gender swap of michael myers to 
um, no. anything like that. We we don't feel, you know, we don't want the 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 people that are being hunted to win. We we don't want that. Whereas you know, um, it's it's really hard to kind of work out what this movie actually is beyond um a narrative and a very compelling very interesting very thought-provoking narrative story of someone who spends her time torturing herself just as much as she does the men that she lists lists in her little book you you're, you've nailed it there i, I think people went into this film expecting that kind of a, re a revenge film a female rape revenge yeah. film which is we've seen it's it's you know pretty common sort of tropey sort of thing tarantino kind of did it a little bit with kill bill mm -hmm. um you know it was, a, it was a famous genre i think in the older 70s and stuff like that but um mm. and he, even even winks at the audience after that first encounter with with uh, adam brody's uh jerry uh, when she's walking, she does what essentially would be, in other terms, the walk of shame. Yeah. Uh, and she's got a, a donut or a burger or something. Yeah, a hot stripping, dog or something, yeah. Hot dog is stripping ketchup or jam or something down her wrist and onto her leg. And from a distance, you're like, is she covered in blood? Has she killed yeah. him? Yeah. But then, you know, when you get closer in and you realize it's just food. You know, yeah. That's, that's Emerald Fennell knows exactly what she's doing. She knows exactly what we expect her character to mm -hmm. do. And she's not going to give us that. She's going to zig when we think she's going to zag. Yeah. Um, everything in this film is completely deliberate. The, the music, the music over the initial opening credits, I believe, is a song called "Boys." Um, if it's a yeah. video of men in khaki khakis, or if I'm an American, I'd say khakis. Yeah, you know, khaki. uh, you know uh, work pants thrusting and stuff. The the opening scene of of um, uh, of uh, Cassie on the uh, couch at the nightclub. Is in you know the, the Jesus Christ pose, you know the, the and that Jesus uh, or saintly imagery, it recurs throughout the film. Mm -hmm. It's there quite regularly. There's a scene at the coffee shop she works in where her head is circled by, you know, a painting or something behind her. It makes it look like it's a halo. Yeah. Um, when we get to the finale, I'm, which I'm not going to spoil for people. No. Um, Again, we see her enter that again that that cross-like pose. So all mm. of that's deliberate. Um, but I, I think to to back onto your point about that people expecting a sort of a revenge revenge drama and not really not really quite getting that mm. is I guess I interpret this as Emerald Fennell sort of going, this is a female revenge drama, but unlike you know, the typical female revenge drama, you know, like a Kill Bill, for example, mm. where the it's almost through the male gaze. We expect a wronged woman to act like we would expect a wronged man to act. Like, you yeah. know, uh, the mob killed his wife. This is one citizen pushed too far. You know, like... <laughs> it doesn't celebrate it. it no, she doesn't, women deal with these things differently, I think, is what she's saying. And mm. her way of actually gaining revenge is less about going out and killing people like, you know, a Charles Bronson film might be. Mm. This is more about maybe humiliating people or, you know, forcing people to stop and think about what they mm -hmm. have done and or putting them in similar situations, which does happen to, to one character 
yeah. um, in the film, who she she tortures almost in that way. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's absolutely brilliant the way it does that. It's approaching it from a completely different angle. Mm. In that, though, the one thing I found myself thinking the first time I saw it is, my goodness, she's putting herself at incredible risk in these situations. Yeah. Um, you know, that uh, she is staring down these men, but just hoping like hell that, like, by shocking him, she's not ending up in the result. Not Those situations aren't ending violently, which is the one thing it almost came across as a little bit unrealistic to me the first time I saw it was, yeah. you know, uh, she's still physically smaller than these people. And let's face it, men have a reputation for a very good reason for actually ending those situations violently far more often than they should. Mm -hmm. As in, they never should. Um, But, you know, you find yourself one-on-one with someone and you humiliate them and potentially put their career at risk and that kind of thing. You know, I would not be surprised to see someone react violently in that situation, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of I kind of justified that in my head um, because not only is she just putting herself out there into these dangerous scenarios, but she is going even further and she is going back to their house every time. And that's you're going into the damn lion's den, and I think it's because of that that brings in that point of the so like the the two ma- the two big key guys that we see her do this to of um adam brody and christopher mince Platts, they freak out and they kind of recoil and they they become scared babies scared baby boys who have been caught with their pants down fiddling with themselves at the back of the cinema whatever they are absolutely horrified and ashamed because not because of what they're doing, but because of what might happen after the fact, and that—that that is a very important thing. Is like none of them show any goddamn remorse of what they fucking done. It's all what are you going to do? Are you going to tell my blah 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 blah? It's it's nothing about the moment, and I think it's the fact that she flips on a dime in terrifying manner from this performance of a complete out of her mind drunk young woman to being almost matronly and you kind of the the way that she just surgically just breaks them down it's of like there's just too much mental pain that the guy is trying to process of she tricked me she's let um she she willingly came here what the fuck is this woman going to do that it kind of justifies that really would she you know not none of these guys would would hit her or anything like that it's like no i i think it's that ultimate point of someone stabbing you your instant re, uh, recourse is to pull away and that's what they are doing in a incredibly emotional response reaction i'd also have to call out the way those roles were cast this is something we would normally talk about here in the casting mm. although i think we did a little bit last week of um best in show mm. but these roles as i sort of i think i was trying to make earlier the point and i was probably making very badly as i usually do um <laughs> it's the, everything about this film is incredibly deliberate we Yum, talked yeah. about the music that is there throughout the film before the final the finale in the, third, the start of a third act really the finale of a film which is 
I'll be interested to hear it talk to you about that in a bit. But we mm. see an orchestral version of Toxic by Britney Spears. So, you know, there's another scene in a pharmacy where uh, there's a song playing. Paris Hilton song, but I can't remember. Um, we don't you know, want to utter her name anymore. It'll it'll make her appear. <laughs> no, um, no, not House of Wax. No, <laughs> um, not even. That, that's that's, that's our chain movie of the week. Ooh, um, um, I say, but the recasting of these roles is completely deliberate. Uh, Adam Brody, uh, I believe, is best known for his role in the OC, which was. Uh, he was a bit of a heartthrob, I think. Which is, a, mm-hmm. I thought we thought it was a sitcom, but apparently it was a soft scripted reality sitcom. I don't really even know. <laughs> he was also in the New Girl with uh, Zooey Deschanel. Um, so he was. I think he was. No, that, that was the other guy. That was um, Al's friend. Uh, I could be wrong, but yeah. I thought he did appear in that. He, at least Adam once. Brody is one of the. Old, uh, the um, when they Shazam up in Shazam, one of the kids. Oh, that's right. He's in Shazam. But I think, yeah, he was in an episode of New Girl. One, ah. uh, my bad. <laughs> uh, I was looking through his thing, going, Why do I know who he is? Um, mm. and I think the same with Krista Mintz Platz, he mm. is McLovin, which kind of familiar, funny, approachable, nice guys from TV. Mm-hmm. These are the guys who she is cast deliberately in these roles mm-hmm. as the kind of guys who you, you know, wouldn't expect to be the kind of pricks who take, you know, blind drunk girls home and, and basically assault them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's the deliberate part is she, she could have yeah. cast skeezy looking dudes with mullets, you know, like Bob from uh, Twin Peaks or something. Um, but... <laughs> That's a that's a cute cut. Um, that's a good cut though. <laughs> like she didn't. She she cast nice, friendly, familiar-looking guys who've seen mm-hmm. on nice shows or funny shows before as the kind of and non-threatening guys. Non-threatening is a good way of putting it. And this is the kind of guys who are every bit of capable, every bit is capable of this. And I think she's there's also that scene with with Krista Mintz Plus. He keeps saying, "But I'm a nice guy. But I'm a nice guy." Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's something about guys who say they're nice guys. If you have to tell people you're not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like who are you trying to convince here? Yeah, it's it's not genuinely nice. People generally don't have to go around telling people that. Mm. Um, so I, I enjoyed that very much. I thought that was very clever. Yeah, um, we haven't really talked about the co-star here, and that is Bo Burnham and his role in this. Mm. So. Bo is uh, meets her. Cassie works at a coffee shop, mm-hmm. and Bo meets her at the coffee shop. And it turns out they went to medical school together at some point in the past. Mm. Uh, and he, noticing her at the coffee shop, says, "Why are you working here?" Mm. Which comes across as a very rude. And in one of the more entertaining scenes in the film, he says, oh, "Actually, you know what? Look, I'm sorry. It was very rude of me. You can spit in my coffee if you want." And <laughs> she does, yep. and he drinks it. Yep. Which apparently he really did. Um, and she did drink. Okay. Uh, and that is that a commitment to method there. Um, oh, don't they realize it was COVID? Pre-COVID, I hope. Um, <laughs> and it turns out he's keen to, he's interested in Cassie mm-hmm. and he's keen to date. And they do actually end up dating and they have a very nice meet cute. And the scene in the pharmacy between the two of them is beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what did you make of the color palette in this film? I found it very interesting for a film about such a dark topic. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's almost like candy cane colors everywhere. The coffee shop and then um, Cassie's parents' house, the way that it's dressed almost like a, like a doll's house with the ridiculously ostentatious designs on everything and the the pink carpet and things like that. It's, and then suddenly when she's out at night, the blacks of the night and of the, the clubs and everything just are really black and it's lit by neon and there's, they feel threatening though, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that, that kind of, um, essence of that kind of candy cane and lollipops kind of color palette during the day when cassie gets in the zone when she is kind of out on the hunt it's laser focused and everything else just blurs away but the that candy cane just can't quite fade away. There's, it almost kind of feel like because they use it, they use it less and less as her relationship with Bo um, develops, and she starts to kind of start living again rather than being on pause and stuck in the in the, in the past. It fades off, so it's almost like those those colors are a symbolism of hope. The, the hope is just getting darker and darker and fading away. And then the 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 last part of the, the last third of the movie, there's not really that bright colors or anything. It's very realistically shot. It still looks great and it's still fitting with the rest of the movie, but it's in woodland area and there, there aren't those kind of manufactured color palettes and lights and things like that. It's natural lighting. They're in, in nature, in the real world. And this is just how it is. Uh, I think we should move on to the finale. Essentially, yes. you, you sort of, the film is sort of split into three acts, as most films mm. are. We yep. meet her. We see her her quest in life to expose men. Mm-hmm. We meet Bo. There is the, the – the Bo represents the promise of a normal life to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but her previous, uh, you know, actions and, and um, obsession – uh, comes back into mm-hmm. her life through Alison Bree's character, Madison, who is someone she went to school with. We won't mm-hmm. go into too much detail about what she does to Madison, but it's kind of satisfying because uh, Madison's kind of a cunt. Um, and she's given a choice, really, at one point. Madison gives her a phone, mm-hmm. and she says, there's a video on his phone of what happened to your friend. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of her stay or should she go moment. And yeah. you put the spoilers thingy up there because I think it's, mm-hmm. it's where I don't want to spoil for anybody. So you got yeah. five, four, three, two, one. You're out. Spoilers. We're going. It's two years old. Um, yeah. She decides to watch the video. And that is really the make or break moment because on that video, she discovers that when her friend uh, Nina was raped at medical school, mm-hmm. uh, her boyfriend Ryan was in the room yes. when it happened. And he, she can be, he can be heard making comment about what was going on on the video and it just horrifies her. Yeah. Um, what did you, so I found the scene between her uh, uh, and and Ryan fascinating when he, she confronts him with what she's found. Mm. Um, but I guess what I'm most interested in is what did you make of her finale at the bachelor's party? Well, first of all, I, as soon as 
um, Ryan came onto the scene, I knew what was going to happen. It was incredibly obvious because this is a movie where there are no nice guys except for uh, Clancy Brown. Yeah. The only, maybe, the only nice guy. Maybe the lawyer? He's the redeemed character. And he's a very interesting... You talk about um, the the phone call being the, 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 the finale, will she, won't she give up the past life or not. The scene with... A great little performance by Alfred Molina. Let's just not 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 mention that. Un, yeah, uncredited by the way. Yeah, um, it is a great scene because she has organized for some guy to do something to him. We're not told what, but it ain't gonna be good, whatever it is. And the the scene between her and the lawyer how she reacts when she sees him and he says i had they they say that i had a mental breakdown is it like he and he calls it a revelation and how he wants to be hurt he literally says i yes i want you to hurt me because of what i've done that is the first turning point and it is the red herring of the turning point because you suddenly think okay yes someone who was intrinsically involved in such a heinous cover-up shows remorse this is the first time we've seen a man a man in this movie show genuine remorse for the action that they did or through inaction did not stop maybe maybe ryan is the reward for her giving up but no that again as you said before everything is by design in this movie and then that tape plays and you don't even you don't see it perfectly tasteful correct way of doing that but you hear it and it's the well, last it's kind of just, for one so you, you're making an excellent point there that, that i also decided to sort of juxtapose that scene mm. with alfred molina mm. uh, prostrating himself on the floor on his knees again mm. really just imagery there of her yeah, arm yep. around him yep. and almost like you know mary magdalene and he says mm. please forgive me please forgive me and she says i forgive you yeah I enjoy. I watched this thing. I picked up watching it the second time. Was that you juxtapose that with the reaction of Ryan upon finding out that his involvement in in yeah. the uh, in the assault uh, was like, no, you have to forgive me. You must forgive me. I need you to forgive me. It wasn't. He sort of and you juxtapose very it. different. Yeah, she was like he was. He was like he was um, chastened. I'm not using the right word, but he was. He was. He acknowledged that he was what he had done was wrong, and he was ready to sort of uh, admit it and and throw himself upon her mercy, so to speak. Mm. Um, whereas Ryan was almost aggressive mm. in that thing. No, you must forgive me. I love you. You have to forgive me. Um, mm -hmm. And that was kind of revealing of the two the characters of the two men. Yeah. Um, and and that almost confirmed Cassie's opinion of you know men, <laughs> men in her life for the most part. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, he was not worthy of her for forgiveness, mm. whereas Alfred Molina's character perhaps was. Yeah. Um, but she eventually basically blackmails Ryan with mm -hmm. releasing a video of him being involved or being at least present of a, at a rape um, and to get the address of the um, bachelor party of the perpetrator of the rape. Mm. Ow. Ow. And... 
I think what happens after that is potentially, if not the most disturbing thing I've seen in the mainstream Hollywood film that I can remember. I mean, it's up there with something like Seven, you know, in the scene with the knife in the uh, uh, prostitute scene and, you know. Um, and yeah. Most of what happens in Seven. Anyway, it's up there with most of what happens in Seven, which is a very disturbing film. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what did you make of that scene? Um, so much of it I loved, but at the same time, it's also kind of the part that I have the hardest analyzing as well, because I, it it fits and doesn't fit at the same time it for the the narrative kind of forces you to make decisions to justify why things happen um for example it's like the scheduled message that gets sent out and the fact that she sent a letter to the lawyer saying in case of my disappearance things like that she knew that there was a chance that she was not going to come out of that scene alive and so it's like okay why didn't why did she was because it wasn't the fact that it was about the rape that the the walls come tumbling down on the guys walls come tumbling down because of a new incident and she so it's like okay wait she needed something really bad to happen in order for her revenge to be exacted you're saying you almost feel like she she went into that expecting to be killed or almost hoping for that result i think she was hoping to i think that there was following on from the the final cassie ryan scene where she just walks off and she's got a she's got a little bit almost like a spring in her step the way she leaves and exits the room i think that was a complete lie and we saw the only other time that we saw her completely break with reality, essentially, was in the scene with, um, where she stops at the traffic lights and she just goes postal on, on the guy's truck. And then she kind of snaps to it and goes, oh, what the fuck? Um, I think that the revelation of Ryan broke her in such a way that she just kind of went, yep. I tried to be redeemed myself. I cannot. This needs to end. I know that it's not healthy for those around me for me to keep doing this, but I legitimately cannot stop. Someone has to stop me. And the only way is to, for this result. That's a very interesting interpretation I hadn't considered. Um, <laughs> I, I saw it differently. The first time I saw it, um, I, I did not believe that she went into that ex intending to die or even expecting to die. And I felt the the, the conclusion of a film um, at the wedding with the police rocking up and the scheduled messages, as you know, mm. I thought that was very convenient and it felt tacked on. Mm. Uh, and when you read a trivia, you, you realize that is not was not the intended original ending by, by Emerald mm. Fennell. She originally intended to end at the death of Cassie in, in at the bachelor party and walk away from mm. there. When the studio perhaps duplicitously because they're like hmm would someone as as you know fastidious and organized as cassie 
really not have any kind of contingency plan. Mm. And you go, she would have a contingency plan. This is a fair point. Stupid. So I think the studio also thought, well, you know, it's a fucking downer of an ending. Can we have, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's a pretty ugly ending for the film. I mean, it's, it's a brilliantly shot and acted and put together scene. It's mm-hmm. horrible, but it needs mm-hmm. to be seen. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I, you know, it does, it really fucks with you. Um, mm. And to have a little bit of a hope spot, to use a wrestling term, uh, <laughs> after that, um, you know, it was nice. It was, well, nice is a strong word. It, it left you feeling a little bit less shitty at the yeah. Bad Society than if we just um, left it at Cassie's dead and fuck it, you know. Um, yeah. But at the same time, even while I can see now, there are parts I missed the first time around. So when Cassie mm. arrives at the lodge or wherever it is, that she takes her number plates off her car and throws them into the mm. woods. And you sort of go, that strikes me as the actions of a girl who's half expecting not to come back mm-hmm. uh, from where she's going. So yeah. it made a little bit more sense it was a contingency plan, but I'm not entirely sure it really escapes the tacked on feeling. If for no other reason then four cop cars show up at a guy's wedding to arrest him for rape, which yeah. I would like to believe that's what the police would do. But, you know, reality in the world and life says... It felt it, a little too Hollywood, that It felt a little bit Perry Mason, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, like, this is what happens on TV and in movies. The police, yeah. oh, my God, there's been a rape. We better go arrest the guy. I'm like, I really wish we lived in that world, but we don't. So, yeah. you know, the guy's rich and stuff. So, you know, they'd mm. probably be a lot more careful about how they did it. But getting yeah. him arrested at the um, the wedding and his friend, like, bolting to try uh get away was mm. was pretty was, – was mildly satisfying, to say the least. Mm. Um, I think it's a str- – it's, it's not as bad as the first time. I might have been a little bit critical the first time around about how tacked on it felt, but mm. – um, it's it's one of the more memorable endings for a film that I can remember the whole third act. Yeah, yeah. I'm see, for for me, I would have pr- definitely preferred it if it had ended at the lodge, and it was. I think that it would have spoken more to her intelligence as well if she had she had the video of the rape sequence if she had had a scheduled message drop to say um, that timed with her going to there and being attacked or uh, maybe even not, not even so like if she, if she maybe hoped that she was going to survive just the next morning, all, all the boys are drunk downstairs um, and he's strapped to the bed with Nancy carved on his chest. She's just gone. That explains the license plates going so no one can put her there, pin her there, but she has sent it off as a schedule thing. So like this guy here, I am a, uh, I am a stripper at this and I do not feel safe. Something like that to get the police there. That would have been enough. And we wouldn't even have needed to see the arrest or anything like that. It would have been kind of like what they did with the, the hard cut of night to daylight coming through the room, which looked awesome, by the way. And with that, it's just like one, two, three, and then you hear police siren, and then it cuts. Done. 
I'm not sure about that, but um, <laughs> I, I think you're going to have one or the other. I think either you walk, we, we, we close the film at the, with Cassie lying dead on the bed, uh, or we, we have something mm. that happens afterwards, but um, I mean, I was too critical the first time. I, mm. I, I think it does make sense that she had a plan. Mm. I just yeah. wish that plan had been executed in a little bit more of a realistic, non-Hollywood way. Like yeah. six weeks later, one of them's at work, you know, yeah. and a, pol a police officer very politely comes in and asks him, could he come down to the station for a chat rather yeah. than, you know, busting in and arresting him at a wedding, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? But um, overall, but what did you what did you make of this film as, as a package? Like, um, it's an interesting film in terms of ratings. Like, if you have a look at IMDb, uh, mm. it has a seven point uh, seven point five from the audience mm -hmm. and a seventy three Metascore, which I think on both counts for me is a little low. But what about you? Um, I think I understand those um, ratings because much like a couple of the movies that we've watched. Um, most recently with Tar and recommending it to people, it's not an easy watch. It's it's almost it's almost a good companion piece if you want to see just the dark side of life. Um, kind of a good companion piece for Re Requiem for a Dream or um, maybe even Pi, where it's not as um, sexualized, drug-addled in in just in is infectious of your mind and your soul and ripping you apart um the just that kind of uh cerebral devastation that it very clearly wants to elicit from you um i think that you anyone who goes in there saying oh i didn't like the acting they're blind Anyone who says that they didn't like the set design or the production value or anything about this, every single element is purposefully designed, almost like a Swiss watch. It, everything feeds nicely into each other, informs on the characters, informs on the scenarios. We are told so much exposition through silence and through just a look, and that is fantastic narrative storytelling but at the same time you have to pay attention which for mass people which is what the those critic uh those like imdb ratings often end up getting twisted by they're gonna look at this and go oh i kind of wanted a revenge movie i didn't get that i mean it was good but seven hmm. <laughs> That's a fair point. I think this is more accessible than something like Wrecking for a Dream. I can see your point there, but like that film's like a fucking nightmare and go to woe. Like yeah. this film, I think she, Emerald Fennell, very nicely lightens it up at various points of those rom com elements, which are yeah. in there to almost lull you into a false sense of security when mm. you don't notice the left hook coming at you uh, yeah. of the final act um, yeah. and when she just beats you around the head. But, um, I, I not only, but in a way, I remember when Requiem for a Dream came out, someone, a, a film reviewer I respected said, they should show this film to every 14-year-old in the country who thinks doing drugs is cool. Who saw train spotting and thought being, a, uh, you know, doing heroin was cool. Yeah, and see how many <laughs> of those 14-year-olds still want to do heroin after watching Requiem for a Dream. And I'm like, I think he has a point. Um, yeah. 
And at the same time, I think that film, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I think that, you know, that film, that, that holds up. But if you think mm-hmm. doing drugs is cool, check out that. Yeah. Um, but I think they should take, you know, 16-year-old boys aside and show them this film. Uh, yeah. and, and and just sort of see if they if what if any impact that might have on our attitudes towards women, yeah. um, and being a nice guy and and, and all of them, you not just the you know, the, you know, the uh, aggressive sort of you know, sexually active guys at 16, mm-hmm. you know, but also those sort of geek, you know, the, the incel community as well can be quite horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a, a more than a film that you should see it's a film you must see and if you have teenage boys or young boys who are uh getting into that age group i i think it's it's uh important film to sit down and watch and geez i mean it'll be a hard film to sit down and watch together with your parents but fuck, i think mm. if you're it, it might be well worth your time i don't know what the rating on it is i think it was ma15 i think it's 15. Uh, sorry rated r in the us i don't know what the fuck that is in australia um I- think over here it was a 15 plus it made 15 plus in australia yeah. so for your kids is around about the 15 16 year old age it might be something to sit down and watch and have a conversation about i think it's a conversation starter of a film um, absolutely agree and something an important an important film and i think emerald fennell has absolutely knocked it out of the park for her debut film and mm-hmm. i'm a bit disappointed quite frankly that she has nothing on her upcoming schedule in terms of writing or directing i hope she's working on something because um, it's an incredibly impressive debut. I'm sure they'll offer her the next Captain Marvel movie or something. Oh, a Marvel film, you know, yeah. <laughs> Please but, don't. Oh, what did I just do there? But was that a good um, segue into our next topic? <gasps> My. Well, we're going to talk about the, the direct fucking opposite to this film, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes. Next. FYI, the Marvels is has been pushed back to November. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, yeah, I did notice. I did spot that. It's been directed yeah. by Nia DaCosta, not mm-hmm. Emerald Fennell, unfortunately. No. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Ant-Man 3. Yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium. Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on a journey, adventure, that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. That is a terrible explanation. It really that's is. what's in IMDb, and that's just that's piss poor. Sorry. Wow. Uh, basically, they are sucked into the quantum realm, a different part of the quantum realm we've never seen before, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, there they bump into all sorts of crazy, wacky characters, including mm-hmm. Kang and final hijinks and Sue. Yep, and Modoc. Don't forget Modoc. And I remember the the first thing that came um, came into my mind when watching this. There was an actually an article with the director Peyton Reed and the writer um, whose name Jeff is Loveness? yes Jeff Loveness. Um, he said, "Yeah, they say that this was their opportunity of doing Dune, and it's like, yeah, I kind of." get some of that and they are they're not only ripping off a lot of dune stuff but also a lot of john carpenter from mars stuff for example the sequence where they drink the goo so that suddenly they can understand each other i thought that was quite original actually that was literally they they literally use that in john carpenter and mars 
Oh, I can't. Well, I didn't really remember that very well. It's been a long time since I saw it. Yeah, um, he's he's well, cool. Was, the thing and, you mentioned yeah. John Carter and um, uh, and you know, I got a lot of Star Wars. Michelle and I were quite thinking a real Star Warsy kind of vibe from his film as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and especially the the idea of splitting off and having kind of story A and story B as they're going through. But also like the for cantina and the wacky characters. It, yeah. it felt like one of the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, it it definitely had that kind of feel to it, didn't it? Um, um, what have you thought about the other two Ant-Man films? Considering the production turmoil that the first Ant-Man had, what with Edgar Wright developing it for a long time with Joe Cornish and then exiting and then Peyton Reed coming in and picking it up, I think they did a surprisingly good job. I think there was a lot of good solid groundwork um, laid in there and they did nicely. The second one, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I thought it was fine. They kept it going in the right direction, and it came in a time when so many – it felt more like a nice little standalone superhero movie, not tied to anything else. So it just told its story and left. And I really appreciated it for that, at the, considering all the other stuff that was coming out, where it's like, previously on Marvel's Cinematic Universe, it was so important to be caught up with all of that stuff. Now we come to Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumanium, which Kevin Feige and everyone at Marvel Executives wants you to know, this is the linchpin that is going to tie everything that we've had at the last um, the last phase of the MCU that's felt so disjointed. It's going to start tying it all together. This is the real starting point. Okay. And yeah, I kind of get that with the inclusion of Kang and especially the post-credits the two post-credit sequences, it's like, yeah, they are really wanting this to to tie it all together, to explain a lot. And it looks like it's going to explain a lot of what happens in Loki Season 2 as well. And I, I get it. They're setting up a new bad guy. They're setting up Kang. And they're following on from Thanos. So it's like, you can't just do Thanos again with a new skin. It No one wants that. No one would like that. It would not work. So they are doing a, they're doing their best to try and set up Kang as a genuine, legitimate threat to the Avengers in a very different, unusual, not seen before manner, which I appreciate. And they've done a lot better job of spinning those plates and setting those plates up in this movie than they did with avengers age of ultron where they kind of set up all the infinity stones and they um where they really brought in the infinity stone sorry they set up kind of the first note of ragnarok and things like that it felt very clunky and falling all over the place this generally keeps the story going in the right direction but i didn't really care i think this film on reflection and i walk out of a cinema was like yeah it was okay yeah. But on reflection, I think this film is okay is maybe a massive over compliment to it, if that's the right word. I think it was, honestly, on reflection, this film is a pile of shit. This is a terrible film. Uh, interestingly, the critics hate it. Yep. The audience doesn't really like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a 6.6, 6, which is, you know, a it's cute with than, um. um uh, the Eternals, I think, right? Uh, I, I don't know what the Eternals, what their score is, but 
uh, is lower than the last couple. They've gone from yeah. 7.5 to 7 and 6.6. Mm -hmm. um, and I just like to call out and go, the less Edgar Wright, the further we get away from Edgar Wright, the worse these films get. Peyton mm -hmm. Reed is a fucking hack, and he was lucky he landed mm -hmm. uh, the director's seat after they let Edgar Wright go. They should be begging him to come back. The Eternals has a 6.3, by the way. Oosh. No, yeah. no one's talking about them in season in, in phase five. We're not talking about what whatever those characters were called are doing. Um, you know, the giant <laughs> robot in space. Nobody's mentioned the German giant robot in space. You know, like um, I, I guess that just didn't happen. Um, nope. I have numerous problems with this in the sense that it's so cliche. We've seen it done so many times before. Mm -hmm. It's so stupid now. And we like, like, you know, in Wakanda Forever, mm. uh, I forget the character's name, Ironheart was able to build a fucking Iron Man suit in a garage on the weekends, you know, because that's something that can Iron happen. Man made his first one in a cave with scraps, Travis. He wasn't a teenager either, like at school, and then doing it in a warehouse on her free time. Like, and like I, you know, <laughs> I'm all good to do Ironheart in a completely different direction from what Iron Man was, but come on now. Some kid in their fucking dorm room can build an Iron Man suit? For, no. Mm. And so now apparently they've recast uh, uh, Cassie Lang, the new actor in this one, uh, Catherine Newton, who's fine, I guess, except the mm. fact she's, I think she's in her mid-20s. Um, mm. and doesn't look much like a teenager. Um, yeah. I'm trying to see what, how old she is. 97, so she's 26 years old um yeah. and she can just build a fucking machine to map the quantum realm in her garage on the weekend you know like what yeah um if we ignore that which is you know, pretty easy because they just sort of yada 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 that um they're sucked into a part of a quantum realm we've never talked about before in the previous films it was just this vague empty expanse and you know now it's a completely complete world of civilizations and people and it's because if we had panned slightly to the left or right in the in the previous times we've been to the quantum realm it would have said um buffering <laughs> right it's looking the wrong part yeah um and we just sort of have the same story we always get with marvel you know cgi mm -hmm. armies fighting each other and you know mm -hmm. uh oh, the old acquaintance who's definitely gonna help mm, no they're not and bill no, murray's bill murray's cameo in this was laughably awful like i mean yeah. for starters in case you didn't know bill murray's been me too yeah. um it, you know i don't know if it happened in this film or another film but do google the allegations about bill murray you know the guy's got some I know, like, some people get sick of his shit, but, like, you know, there's some fairly legitimate things that people have said about him being mm -hmm. kind of a shitty person to work with, not just your normal, you know, Ghostbusters, he won't return, you know, uh, people's mm -hmm. Harold Ramis' calls, like, literally grabbing women and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, I find that very... Once I... That's in my head. It's very difficult for me to go... Yeah... Mm. And but if we ignore that for a second, it was completely pointless. Yep. He's in it for 10 minutes. You're like, he was just it's like he turned up, you know. Like I said, can I be in the movie, please? I'm here. And like, oh, Bill Murray's here. We'll ride apart from him on the spot. Like it was completely pointless. Yep. And it didn't need to happen. And nope. it was distracting in a way, right? Like yep. it was just like, oh, it's Bill Murray. 
that's that's it. It, it it was it wasn't a character it was bill murray because he was leching on janet van dyne and he was just being sardonic and he was being bill murray it's like okay yep yeah, he a couple of years ago he became uh, a popular thing because he would randomly just turn up at people's weddings and stuff and just kind of photobomb weddings and stuff it's like that, that's kind of what he did in this movie <laughs> it was just it really was it's just it's in, um and of course obviously he telegraphed the punch like you said we've seen it a million times it was almost a lando calrissian you know moment of like yeah, yeah. he's gonna help us no he's not um yeah. it, it, I, I did not like this film at all the only redeeming quality this film has is well three things one it has a shorter runtime than most films these days yeah. uh it's a seven two hours which you probably still got to cut a little out of, but yeah, it's mm -hmm. fine. Uh, Paul Rudd is still charming and mm -hmm. easy to watch and fun to watch. And I still enjoy Paul Rudd, like in the, you know, the scenes of the, the, the all the different Paul Rudd's characters, him dressed in the uh, Baskin Robbins outfit going, I don't even know why I'm here is actually kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, and the third thing, and this I think is the major redeeming characteristic of this film, is Jonathan Majors is a fucking movie star. I, I haven't seen him in a lot before this week. I think I saw him in uh, Lovecraft Country, mm -hmm. and I didn't finish that because it got silly. Um, <laughs> but I and obviously in in, in Loki, mm -hmm. but he is a fucking big time movie star, mm -hmm. big time movie star, and he is the only thing holding any hope for me in Phase Five for Marvel because everything I've done of like I can't remember. No Way Home is the last good thing they did. And that's a year now. And everything since has been absolute dross. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, I might have been a little bit more soft on Wakanda Forever. It was okay. Mm. But okay is about as good as I can go. Love of Fun, it was bad. Yep. Eternals was bad. This yep. is bad. Yep. Black Widow um, was bad. So, but he is fucking big time. He has mm -hmm. genuine menace about him in this film. Yeah. And I don't even really understand what the fuck's going on with this character right now. Like, I don't know what his motivation is. I don't know. I don't understand exactly what Kang is or why, why he wants to kill people or why, you know, uh, what's going to happen. You mentioned the post credit scene, the mm -hmm. first one with the arena full of Kangs. Spoilers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, you know, you had a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> There are two post-credit scenes. That's just one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, um, did you enjoy Jonathan Major's performance in addition to him being an interesting villain? I think Jonathan Major's, I have loved pretty much everything that I've seen him in so far. And I am definitely a fan of the guy. I think he's doing really well. I think he's the man who, he who remains from Loki um, is completely different in presentation key thing presentation to kang the conqueror in this where he is he self-identifies as kang the conqueror and he's just and then we get all the different variants um in the in the coliseum of <laughs> the coliseum of kang <laughs> um there's gonna be so many bad jokes about that kind of stuff he has got his work cut out for him if he is going to be given genuine scope to show variations of this character but the 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 thing that really just sells me on it is 
he was so brilliant at being able to just use silence and cavalier attitude where um ant-man is uh, ant-man and cassie are both in their um uh cells and he's just like and uh, ant-man says oh i'm an avenger he says avenger have i killed you before you're the one with the hammer yeah it's it's like ah i I barely remember them i've i've killed too many of them it doesn't matter anymore and he says something of the like it's like they all blur together it's it's he he does it so well and then when he's just having a drag down knockout fight with ant-man he's a fucking scary guy (laughs) he's he's just i I found it very annoying actually like I, can we have something other than like a, I know I complain about the sky beams, but I think there might have been a sky beam in this. Um, there was a fist fight. Like the, the only way they could have been more cliche it could have been if it was a sword fight. You know, um, you know. <laughs> could you get somebody who can choreograph a fight, Marvel? Yes, please. You know, maybe the guy from John Wick. Like I, I didn't like John Wick for last John Wick film, but like fuck, they can choreograph the shit out of a fight. Maybe the guy who did bullet train, those fights were fun. Um, yeah. But I, I found out, like, oh, it's a fist fight. But you're right, he was brutal in that fight. Mm. Absolutely brutal. Probably more brutal than we've seen a character be since Thanos. Um, and yeah, I, like I mean, that. Even, even, even then, there was not particularly a, a point with Thanos fighting that it really felt like it got personal with him and by the end of quantumanium just how much trouble ant-man this one that doesn't even doesn't remember killing just caused him he just ugh, any sense of being this all-powering conqueror who wants to who has the greater good for all the multiverse in mind and all of that no, he's just a guy who's this guy has just pissed him off too much and he just animalistic. It's, Do you think he's dead? Uh that version eh, I don't know. Um I think they've left it nebulous enough that they can bring it back, especially you know, with anyone that. really die inside the MCU these days. Yeah. Especially with the multiverse. They can bring back whoever they want. They can bring back Killmonger if they want, you know. Um, and with Darren Cross not being dead, having been reborn as a giant baby head, and Modok, which was... We should oh, talk about Modok. So this is possibly the worst thing the Marvel Cinematic Universe has ever done. Like It, it looked so bad. Why did it, it looked, look it like... It terrible. Like, I mean, I understand the character of Modok was always going to be hard to do because he looks kind of silly. Um, but I understand in the comic books, he's kind of a badass. Like, yeah, but there's a comic, there's a cartoon Modoc with Pat Oswalt yeah. voice Modoc, but like that was played for laughs, and that's fine. But yeah, if but you, this was not threatening, I'm sorry. You're either going to play it for laughs or it's a threat. I don't think it could do both. And I think that yeah. would, and if it's really going to do either of those things and you're going to bring back Corey Stoll, don't fuck with it. Like, what did he do? Who did he? Whose wife did he root to land such a shit role and look like Garth looks so shit house? 
it in the looks terrible. Do you, do you remember there was um so like in the early nineties there was a TV show at least over in the UK called Games Master. I've heard I've seen some video of it in a few reviews. I I don't think it landed here, and I'm like, oh my god, that's it. It it it, it his face looks flat. Where, where did they did they forget to actually put definition and make the face three D? Take it up a step. What did you think of the CG in this film? I thought it was a bit iffy, personally. Yeah, there was a lot that just was sort of like, okay, okay, mm, no. And why, if if they're going if they're going weird, if they're going unusual, why don't you just go all in? And you've got all these, you've got buildings that are sentient and moving. It's like, cool, that's a cool thing, and. We've got this creature that's just all blobs and is obsessed with the fact that it's like, oh, you have holes and that sort of stuff. It's like, all right, but why are most of the things that we're seeing still humanoid? Come on. Let's go. If you're going to go weird, go weird. Uh, I Just in case you're like me and you are Australian or American or a Russian bot, um, you don't know what George is talking about, the Game Master. This is what we mean. <laughs> it's Kang! No, it's Komodo. Again. It's Murdoch. You can find that on the YouTubes if you're... <laughs> like, it was really bad. And you kind of wonder yeah. about creative decision like when the when kevin feige and stuff saw what they'd done with it and they've gone that'll do is that the final version yeah and you're like, yeah that's it it's finished and you're like the fuck are you sure because like, when did it become mystery science to the 3000 well you know, it, like, it kind of looked like like someone just got assets from minions and stretched someone else's face on it yeah, that would do. <laughs> this, is... Um, this is a very weak entry. I'm sorry for Marvel. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't really bode well is. for. I, I think go back to your original point. Where Ant Man played best was small scale local stories, standalone yes. stories. Mm -hmm. The first one was a heist film. We've talked about this. You know, they did genre films with superheroes. The buddy yeah. cop film, the heist film, that really worked. They also left out Michael Pena in this film, who was one of the best. If you're going to have some comic relief, mm -hmm. him doing his like, you know, recap of what happened, you know, like that's funny. Like I really like that. Like uh, the, the FBI detective, um, I forget his name. He was in um, one of these. Yeah, I, didn't, I think he's he's credited in this film, but yeah. like I don't remember seeing him, um, so I don't know who he was. I noticed also David. Das Malshian's got a credit. In he he plays the the thing with the ooze and uh, Vec, I think it was. He's actually in the first Ant Man film. Yeah. Like, why can't I have his Randall Parks a guy? I'm thinking he played Jimmy Woo. That's, like, yeah, Jimmy Woo. Remember when? That, maybe he played a wacky character or something as well. I don't. I don't. It was very, very disappointing film from Marvel. And yeah, look, it's when I say disappointing, I am. It's, it's, it's relative, you know, like Endgame is one of the most transcendent cinematic experiences I've ever had. You and I were in the front row at the Hoyts in Greensboro like this, mm -hmm. and it was 
fucking un unbelievable, that film. So within four years, they're pumping out Vistros. Um, the it's a, the it's thing you got to remember with stuff like that is is comparing it to something like Endgame. It's you you they will never be able to reach the height of Endgame. Simple answer because they had if they had years of build up and build up and Avengers: Infinite War uh, that was all set up for Endgame, which was all payoff. That was it. There was nothing to set up. It was just full payoff. That is, so like, oh, yep, we've been fattening you up and fattening you up and fattening you up. And now you get to relieve yourself in whatever way you like for two and a half hours. And you are going to love it because this is exactly what you've wanted. Yeah, that's fair. But even if we compare it to most of the films from phase one and two, it, there's it's your better reference. It's yeah. not on a par with them. I mean, no. other than maybe even Thor The Dark World, which has kind of always been thought of as, you know, the low like point of, the, of the, the MCU prior mm -hmm. to Captain Marvel. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it's still decent. Like, uh, yeah. it, was still, it wasn't a horrible film. But I guess what I wanted to say was when we compare it to you know, the other side, mm. you know, the, the DCEU, yeah. Uh, this would probably be a reasonably solid entry for the DCU, something of this quality. Uh, it's it's just so middling. It's so dull. Okay, here we go. Question. This or Black Adam? This. Black Adam yeah. is boring. Yeah, I agree. This has, an, this has an advantage, in fairness, mm -hmm. to Black Adam. Mm -hmm. We've seen uh, Ant-Man now in five films. The two yeah. Ant-Man films, but the two Avengers films and Captain America Civil War. Yeah. yeah. I think it's five films. So it also has Paul Rudd, who's very likable and fun. Mm -hmm. But we've had a lot of time now with this character to really love him and go on adventures with him and enjoy his banter. And mm. we know this character. So there's – and they don't entirely shit the bed with that character. It's just the general package. It's just so dull that – it makes it a pretty shitty Marvel film. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they didn't. Re Black Adam felt like something that came out in the late 90s. Yeah. Which is when it started production. So it makes sense. It was stuck in time. Now, shall we? Uh, shall we? Uh, one last thing. We got the spoilers thing still going. I did enjoy the post credit scene with Loki. That did pique my interest for season two, mm -hmm. which. It's nice because I didn't particularly enjoy season one. True. Very fair. All right. So we talk more. some more Jonathan Majors. Yes. Let's talk about his war movie, Devotion. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Devotion. It's a sex movie. No, it's not really. It's a strange title for a film about fighter pilots. Yeah. And especially how the story is delivered. It's like, right? Uh, a pair of U.S. Navy fighter pilots risk their lives during the Korean War and become some of the Navy's most celebrated wingmen. I, mm. I, I don't know that that's a great description either because I don't think that's actually explained in the film. This no. is available in Australia on Netflix. Yep, Can't speak for overseas. I don't know if it's a Netflix movie or it's just where it's landed here. I will look into that for you. It is directed by J.D. Dillard. 
who I'm not particularly familiar with. He did direct an episode of The Outsider which, with Ben Mendelsohn, the, the pilot episode, which I yeah. recall you and I both quite liking. Mm. He did an episode of A Twilight Zone, which is unfortunate um, mm -hmm. because that was crap. Um, he did an episode of Utopia, but I think he's one of his, if not his first feature, yeah. it's one of his very early features. He's up and coming. Written by Jay Crane, Jonathan Stewart. Don't know who they are. It's based on a book by Adam Makos. In terms of stars, we have Jonathan Majors, of course, Kang himself. Uh, mm -hmm. The other face in here you might know is Glenn Powell, who plays Tom Hudner. Apparently, mm -hmm. he was in uh, Top Gun Maverick, which I saw a few months ago, and I yes, had zero memory of this guy being in that film. I had no idea who he was. Uh, the other name in facing here you might know if you uh, were a teenage girl at some point in your life is Mighty Good, played by one of the Jonas Brothers. Joe, oh. to be exact. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not know that, but like, I, did I. <laughs> uh, I don't know much about Jonas Brothers, but I remember they they were popular. Yep. Um, we meet uh we meet uh jonathan majors who plays jesse brown uh when tom hudner turns up to join his squadron of fighter pilots we hear jesse uh in the background basically talking to what we, we learn later is himself saying you ain't shit man you ain't shit um and essentially tom running lines of derogative hateful things that people have said to, said him. to him we find out later he remembers every hateful thing that people have said to him and, and repeats it back to himself which is an interesting tactic i don't think my therapist would endorse that but i could try yeah. um my brain does that by itself i don't need to say it out loud um yeah. <laughs> i'm perfectly good at that thank you um <laughs> he need no assistance um tom is a very capable pilot already Jesse is a somewhat controversial figure in mm -hmm. the sense that he is the first, and I'm going to use the word Negro, because that's where you, the one they use in the film. Yes. Uh, actually, we say African-American. It's a more polite term these days. Uh, yes. African-American aviator mm -hmm. set in the early 50s. Um, and he's sort of struggling, if you will. He's probably not up to the standard of everybody else in the, in the crew, and maybe part of that's down to his anxiety, that he has to perform to a much higher level because mm. he's African-American. Yeah. Um, we meet his wife, played by Christina Jackson-Daisy. Um, they have a wonderful... That's when he really comes out of his shell and they mm. have a really beautiful relationship, the two of them, with their daughter, mm. uh, a very loving husband. But it's interesting you see the yin and the yang of his character in the sense when he's at work, though, then he's... Yeah. At, you know, working with Tom at the at the base, he's almost standoffish mm -hmm. with his colleagues. With his, his, I don't know what they call people in the air force. Is no, not all wingmen are they? Um, but his 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 comrades, his, <laughs> his crew, y'all. Um, <laughs> he's, he's standoffish with him. He almost keeps him at this at arm's length. And Tom, yeah, is his wingman, and it takes Tom quite a while to work his to earn Jesse's trust enough. To be able to allow inside his sort of mm. walls and be invited back to his home and meet his wife. Yeah. Uh, we then follow them as they learn to, as the Korean War is beginning, they learn to 
land their planes on a carrier and then the story follows on to to career itself where the fit really mm-hmm. is the sham yes you thought i wouldn't like this film why was that because i think that it does a really bad job of actually telling the 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 actual story that it wants to set to tell and i think it's a tale of two movies where it's trying to be there's elements of it where it very much tries to be so like oh this is what top gun was like but back during this time and see how hard it was and how it's you know the the danger is still real and blah 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 but at the same time it's kind of like you're, you're not actually the 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 interesting element of this is jesse brown and you keep forgetting about that <laughs> i'm, sh- I'm sh- seeing this really good layered performance from jonathan majors here you keep forgetting it just show me that and it's very frust- a very frustrating movie on that regard we should note jesse brown was a real person this is based mm. on a true story and jesse brown was the first african-american aviator for the u.s yeah. navy and had a ship named after him in the 70s i i'm with you there that when this film is on the ground it's not very interesting mm. um it does a bad job of playing out or building the cast of characters mm-hmm. um the, the, the fellow aviators in his squad squadron is yep. the word i was looking for um yeah. you know the one joe jonas like i mentioned earlier is one of them and yep. can you remember who any of those people were or did they feel completely interchangeable not- and disposable? I do not remember any of them. I remember that one of them, um, one of the uh, army men was like the, the token obligatory overly racist guy that was just felt painfully generic um, and was there just to, as, as a tool to bring um, the, the, the two leads, Tom and Jesse bond together more. Um, everyone else is just set dressing. I think you're right. And then they, they mm. spend too much time with them, right? Either you tell me who they are and they mm-hmm. play an important role in a story. Yeah. And they become really fully fledged, you know, uh, fleshed mm-hmm. out characters or just focus on the interesting people. Yeah. And in this case, I think they should have focused on the interesting people. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Glenn Powell is a terribly good actor. It's almost like they signed up Jonathan Majors and, like I said, he's going to be a movie star. He's going to be in Tang in a bunch of different films, so he's going to be a massive star. Yeah. And it's almost like they, they, had, they knew they had him on, on their hands at that point, and they're like, yeah. cool, we can go with a generic white guy. He was in Top Gun. He was in Top Gun. <laughs> like, I mean... I think a better yeah. actor could have done a lot more with his roles. Very rude of me to talk about Glenn Powell like that, but he's generic white guy all the yeah. way. It's unmemorable. Yeah, it's it's fine. It he he does what he needs to do, but he's also kind of sharing screen time with someone who is given raw emotion to play with and given depth and integrity and intensity and 
Tom is not given any of we that. We don't get any of it. We don't meet his family. We don't meet no. his wife. We don't see him at home. Uh, and I think John, I think Jonathan Majors is on a rip right now. He's going to be in Creed yeah. Free, which yeah. I'm sure will be a massive smash hit. Um, and and maybe I should see some Creed films first. I don't know. Um, so where this film does excel mm. is, and I think when they're in the sky, when they're flying, and in the combat scenes. The, yeah. For the dog fight scenes, they hired Kevin LaRosse for a second. Whoever yes. saw and designed the fight scenes, the Top Gun Maverick, according to the trivia here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you, those who are regular listeners, I saw Top Gun a few months ago and was surprised at how much I liked it. Like, it was yeah. actually an entertaining film. And I think it was kind of the same thing there in the sense that mm. when Tom Cruise is doing the dog fighty stuff, it's actually pretty entertaining. Um, and they pulled that up pretty well, but I mean, the stuff mm. on the, the stuff on the ground with Top Gun is just don't don't pretend there's a story. Yeah, I don't care. Um, volleyball. <laughs> um, you know, but at least in fairness to the first of those films, which I don't think we liked, but you know, they had memorable characters. You know, you know, Iceman and Goose yeah. and stuff like that. But they don't even pull that off here. But my goodness, the fight, the aerial. Dogfight scenes are sensational. Mm-hmm. And they look great. They feel many great. of them, really. They really should have done more of that. Maybe I guess they didn't have budget for it. but Well, I mean, considering the, like, the, 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 the little time period that they were telling their story about, right, on the cusp of that sort of, like, genuine conflict with, with um, in the Korean War, it's like, okay, we don't, we can't make up a, a dogfight just to add one in there. I kind of feel like maybe they should have moved the story a little bit further along, but because it's based on a real person, it's like, okay, that sets what kind of movie this is going to be. And so I think they were, they had their hands somewhat tied for that element, but yeah, it was, so, it was really nice to also see these old school planes. I loved airplanes when i was a kid i wanted to be a pilot before i was told no you're colorblind you can't fly um problem yeah just yeah it's a little problem um it was so nice to see those rather than these high techs like oh look at this it's like f19 whatever i think it's almost the strength of the film is the fact that the ones that are super high tech in in top guns okay you know i mean i i it's almost like the thing about Top Gun also is that they never talk about who the enemy is. They're just the enemy. Um, and, we don't you know, want to insult any foreign governments. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know that there are a whole lot of countries, maybe other than China, who could go head-to-head with American hardware in the sky these days. If you're an aviation geek, please come at us and tell me I'm wrong. But like, no, no one can beat the, beat the British in the skies. So. <laughs> um so, like, but in this film, like, you know, we're a little bit more head-to-head with the Soviets, right? Like, um, yeah. and the fact that they actually go, no, these are, well, I don't think they're Chinese. They're probably Chinese jets, but they're flying, uh, sorry, Chinese aviators flying Russian jets. Mm. Um, yeah, it feels a little bit more real, a little bit more down-to-earth and a little bit more visceral than the the super high-techy ones in the new, in the new films. And um, yeah. I think the third act of this film is very strong. I yes. actually found myself kind of duck bored during the first two thirds of a film. Not yep. horribly bored. It was okay. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get to the point soon and tell me what this film's fucking yeah. about? 
because you sort of hear yeah. meanders along for an hour or so before it decides, oh, by the way, did I tell you the film's about the Korean War and this is happening? Mm. That, you Speaking know, on time, this is a two hours, 19 minutes. That is far too long. Much too long. Needed to take, and he doesn't have enough story to fill that much time. No, it could it, have been a really sweet little hour 30. Hour 30, hour 40, in and out, and tell me your story. Because mm. if, if that's literally, I don't know the full Jesse Brown story. If there was mm. more to it. I would have been interested to hear it. Mm. Um, uh, but like the last thing. Sorry, even the the little bit where he he opens finally opens up and talks a little bit about what it was like training, and just how brutal he depicts his training. I love the fact that we didn't necessarily see that, and it, we were just told it in a in a wonderful moment by Jonathan Majors. But at the same time, it's like you could have shown me that, and then cut to this, and that would have been a really visceral open sequence of life for an african-american trying to trying to get to this level of being the first pilot holy think, crap think, that's a story think hidden figures but about pilots yes, yes. Like, I, it's almost the, the the glenn powell character is almost a distraction yeah because it, it early on in the film he or i think all the way through the film he's almost an protagonist with just with with uh, jonathan majors Mm. Um, which I don't know if he should have been. It's not his story. No. Um, but the final sequence, the, the final act is really exciting, really mm. entertaining. It goes from dogfight to what happens next, and I won't spoil it for people mm. who want to watch it on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but I kind of I was found myself surprised by the ending in the way it ended, and I'm assuming that's the way it happened in real life. Mm. So, again, it kind of yeah hands about what they could do with it. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, that's – that's a pretty cool way of ending the story, right? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty sad, but pretty realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that I watched it primarily um, because of Jonathan Major's performance. I think it's um, another example of him being right on that cusp that we see quite a lot of um, actors seem to have that, that's that sleeper hit of something right around the same time that they've they got signed by in a big movie that shows them into the limelight and then they're off to the races i think we are going to see some really exciting stuff from him uh, going forwards he has been solid and just honing his craft he has got the the guts to really show pain and emotional depth and empathy in all of the roles that i've seen him in so far and it's like yes i Give him, give him to me. I want him. Come on. I, uh, this is the film that really nailed it for me. I liked him in Ant-Man, uh, which mm. I saw last Wednesday or Thursday night. I can't remember. But then I mm. watched this on the weekend. I'm like, this guy, this guy has pr it's real presence on the screen. The camera yeah. likes him. He can seriously go when the acting needs to come along. And he's not just you know, shooting lasers out of his arm like in, in, in the Marvel film. The guy's <laughs> got, he's got serious range. Yes. This is a film that maybe, just like I said earlier, he is flat-out movie star. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there are many of them these days. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. There's, um, there's a lot of people ones, just cruising. You know. yeah. um, but uh, thank you for suggesting it. It's I would say it's long, but it's not bad. You know, if you yeah. like Top Gun, you might yeah. like this too. Actually, Agreed. you know, it's not, you know it's, it's not as flashy as Top Gun. Yeah. But it's 
you know, if, again, the air combat sequences are worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. Now, should we do a quick, um, quick whip snap of uh, binge browse burn? Yes, let's. Okay, so I'm going to start off with um, a browse for the new season of Carnival Row on Amazon Prime. It has been all in that Bloom show. Yes, and uh, Cara Delevingne um, in a steampunk-like Victorian era style city, uh, city where the Fae are part and parcel of society. And this is this has come for quite a. There's been quite a delay between season one and um, season two. It's yeah, the first season was 2019. Well, the pandemic fucked with a lot of people, right? Yes, it did mess up, mess up a lot, but it's really to its detriment because it's a really interesting, compelling premise that muddled a little bit. It, it, it meanders through the first season, but because it's been so long, they had a previously on Carnival Row, but it's like, no, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> so it's the, the, the production value is still solid. Um, Orlando Bloom... And Kara, they definitely um, have got a much stronger understanding and better material this time around for their roles. The world has, at the end of uh, season one, things changed and forced a, a cultural shift in the within the world of Carnival Row to make it really interesting and compelling beyond that initial idea of, ah, they people are part of what we know too, which is inherently quite a cool concept. They didn't really do too much with it, but now they are. I recommend anyone going in and browsing this. If you like the first season, stick with it is my recommendation because it does have um, an interesting kind of conceit behind it as well as it's got some little bit of the political kind of thing that people have seemed to have really engaged with since kind of the popularity of Game of Thrones and House of Targaryen, uh, House of the Dragon and that sort of stuff. It's got a little, little bit of that. It's a little bit for everyone. And they seem to be doing quite nicely for this new season, which is the finale season. Two episodes up right now. It's a good possibility. It's a brand. How are you but... watching it again? Prime. Prime video. Prime. Yes. So uh, I'm going to go with a soft browse at this point in time. I have just started on a journey. Okay. Uh, and that journey is a show called Happy Valley. I'm not sure if you have heard of it. Happy Valley. This is from your homeland. Yeah. But it comes very highly rated by people like The Guardian. Uh, <laughs> uh, it has won a lot of BAFTAs. It is top rated 226 in IMDb's top 250 TV shows. Wow. It has an 8.5 in IMDb. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always kind of looked at it and gone, yeah, nah, British cop show. Yeah, mm. I think so. Yorkshire-based crime drama centered around the personal and professional life of police sergeant Catherine K. Wood. And mm. what an interesting show this is in the sense that it, it has uh, run between 2014 and 2023. Yet there were three, I think maybe four seasons of this. Okay. You're like, four seasons in nine years? What the fuck is happening in your home country? Look, 
Look, this 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 is the place that has made made that very very popular with Sherlock and a couple of others. It's like you know what? No, we're gonna do we're gonna do shorter seasons. Maybe we might flirt with the idea of longer episodes, but we're gonna make you wait a year and a half between because a year and a half, yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. Ooh, next time we're gonna do it for seventeen days. Yeah, clear. <laughs> there are three long. seasons. Three seasons over nine years and 18 episodes. What's the actual part? How does that work? I don't get it. But this is how we make it compelling. <laughs> I don't understand that. Like, apparently, it's, it's utterly brilliant. One of the most, mm. you know, lauded TV shows you'll hear about. At least that's what mm. I'm hearing around the place. But we only we've created 18 episodes over nine years like anyway i watched yeah, the where first part of this because people have been crapping on i think they might have concluded it now i'm not sure i've been reading a lot uh, okay. about the new stuff new season recently um and i thought i'd give it a go because it's available yeah. on binge here in australia okay and it's all right it's it's different to something like i don't Thinking of British, there are a lot of British police shows. Um, the last one, the, the big one I remember is The Bill. Did you ever watch The Bill? That was that was a different beast to what I, I what I think this this seems to. I was going to say it definitely is in the sense The Bill yeah. was almost. Is, have you ever watched any of the UK? Have you ever watched any Luther? No. It's probably more akin to Luther, which is the one of the things that got um, Idris Elba really pushed into the limelight. Um, that has been going from 2010 to 2019. There's a movie coming out. Um, so I I think that might be a better simile, that kind of gritty... I wasn't comparing this to the bill. I was just trying to give people, a, a, you know, who might have watched the British tele, British ah, pop shows... If you're thinking it's the bill, that's not it. It's not like a different story every week. There seem to be overarching mm. story arcs. We are meeting the same sort of cast of characters, though. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. I'm finding the first episode hard work um, okay. in the sense that it sort of flirts between its main character, it seems to be the least interesting one, which is Catherine Kawood, played by Sarah Lancashire. There are some subplots running through the first episode. You're like, Oh, this is juicy. I like this. Whereas yeah. her main plot being about her sister, I think, um, the, the, the rapist, the murderer of her, uh, the rapist of her sister who went on to kill herself, sorry, daughter, not sister, uh, okay. is just being released from jail. And I assume that's going to form the, the main arc for the season. Um, but there are some other sort of characters in here who are doing some other shady shit, which seem more interesting to me. But if it weren't for the other interesting side characters that would go in the burn pile, it's okay. the side characters writing the side stories alongside of Christine's story, which are keeping me engaged. Whenever Christine pops back up, I'm like, yeah, what's going on on Reddit? You know? Um, so why I'm giving it a soft browse, I'll hang in there and see okay. if I, how far down the rabbit hole I can go with this. The fact that 18 episodes, despite being super weird, is is an attractive prospect that i don't have to watch nine <laughs> seasons of stuff you know all right all right 
Um, anything else? Because at the moment, I've got nothing else to really talk about. The only other one I'll talk about, uh, this, is a, this is a return to one of the like, so, uh, It's probably the big story at the moment. That is The Last of Us, because I think I talked oh, about Oh, yes. I have, mm-hmm. I have signed up and I have watched everything except the most recent episode. Well, I'll start, and I'm going to keep this in the binge category. So turned out last night I was two episodes behind, so I watched episode five and episode six. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last time we spoke might have been after episode two or three. Um, yeah. I can't remember which exactly one it was. Uh, I just like to keep people, if you're going, meh, you know, the first couple of episodes, you know, like sometimes like, I think of um, Lovecraft Country. The first episode was amazing. And then like East went, um, the Last of Us has not let up much at all. Mm. Uh, it started strong. It absolutely scaled the heights of television that you will rarely ever see in some of the in the uh, the episode uh, with Nick Offerman in it. Which yep. just checking now is episode I'm not three. Sure which episode? One or two or three, anyway. Um, three. Long, yeah. long time. Um, but episode five, Endurance Survive, and episode six, Kin, are both yep. excellent. Excellent. Episode five is probably the second best episode of the season so far for me. Um, mm-hmm. There is a little bit more zombie action. If you're one of those people who's complaining there's too much talking yeah. and not enough zombie, mm-hmm. haven't played the game, but I think that's the point of the game. There's a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. It's all about the story. Um, uh, Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey have an incredible chemistry on screen together. Mm-hmm. They're doing an amazing job. Yep. Don't listen to anybody who's giving you shit. Oh, it's not like the game. I change things. You know, fuck right up with that. It's a, di- it's a different. It's a different medium. You cannot just tell the same story, no matter what you, what I've said. In enjoy the, past. the game. Go back and enjoy the fucking game. It's still yes. there for you to enjoy if you want to play it out exactly the same way. But um, this so far, this is. The one we've been waiting for. This is the. This is. I, I think it's rating. I feel like it's. Uh, it's, just, it's the one that people are talking about. It's, I, I suspect it's doing well in mm. terms of viewership. I don't know. It's, it's mm. HBO Max. Who knows? Well, apparently, um, apparently, it's um, outstripping um, uh, their their top shows, which I think was somehow House of the Dragon. Well, I mean, I haven't watched it. I don't know. People yeah. liked Game of Thrones a lot. So, yeah. um, but I think this is the one. This is the one that tells you if you treat a, a video game um, mm. with the kind of respect that you would any other text and you mm. give it some time and some love and you know, res- and don't go, well, you know, everybody loved that amazing story that the video game told. But yeah. What if we just went in and told a completely different story of the same characters? What if we made Joel 21? And a Navy SEAL or something instead yeah. of a rock, you know, like <laughs> it's just like if you actually treat it properly, it will people it will make it is an amazing story in a game. It's still an amazing story. You need to fiddle the parts a little bit, but yeah. yeah. I do have a gripe with it. Yes. I wish they had dumped the whole season in one hit. I hate having to wait. <laughs> this is this is a slow burn story, and it's wonderful for that, but making us wait an ex a full week before we can get more is torturous man <sighs> um look it's i think netflix is still the only people who do the dump well, yeah in one go um 
I I don't have a problem. I mean, HBO is still sort of technically a TV station, I think, in the US. Um, <laughs> so, um, so uh, look, I mean, it's I, I'm conflicted. On the one hand, if you could burn it in a weekend, so be it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I I, I it. I am Gen X. You're Gen X, right? You you might be early millennial, actually. Um, but like back in our when we were young, you had to wait until next week for the next episode, right? So uh, I feel for younger folks who might have grown up with the uh, the Netflix model. But if that's the worst thing you have to say about it, then I think it's doing pretty well. Would you put it it's in the binge category? Um, I put it in the binge category. Absolutely, yes. I am a millennial, my friend. I'm right on the cusp. Some people say 77, uh, the year I was born is millennial. Some say Gen X. But I say, if you can remember when they came up with the name Gen X, you are a Gen X. And I remember that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I am late X. Mm. Yes. I'm part of the generation that grew up before internet. <laughs> Ooh, you're not quite a digital native. But um, I'm so glad this is good. This mm-hmm. just means we'll get more great video game stories turned into yeah. movies. I'm fascinated to see what they do with Fallout. I know I keep saying it, but I keep seeing yeah. pictures online with it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's Mario. We saw another trailer recently. It's mm. going to make all the fucking money. It's yes. going to destroy the box yes. office. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, I am going to be right. <laughs> Another 10 years later, and you'll be right. <laughs> oh, I think it was coming out this year, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> So you got the last we have been tooting this horn for for nearly ten years. I've had this it's been it's almost ten years, 2014, <laughs> 2015, whenever we started, I can't remember. <laughs> if you would like to see what the early days of a podcast look like, I did post a, th- a photo of us on the uh, podcast, the Fried Brain Productions Facebook page of us from twelve years ago. So. If you aren't already following us on that mm. Facebook page, it's well worth signing up to see that one. Handsome devils. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to bring episode 173 to a close. We ran a little longer than uh, than the hour and a half that we were hoping, but still less than one we're hour. We're trying. Hour. We're trying, people. Um, but uh, don't forget you can reach out to us, and please do at Evil Trav, at The Fry Brain on Twitter, facebook.com slash armchairproducers, youtube.com slash um, armchairproducers, twitch.tv slash The Fried Brain. We'd love to hear from if you've got a recommendation for a movie. Um, next week, oh, I forgot. It was my turn to pick a new chain movie and I didn't announce it. How did we forget this? How did we forget the, the crux of the show? We are going to be following Carrie Mulligan, to one of the rare Mark Romanek movies. We're going to go to Never Let Me Go. Ah, I have seen this. This is a sad mm. movie. Yeah, this this came out, I think, 2010, and I don't think I've seen it since. And I am very curious to go back to it. Uh, good choice. Good mm. choice. Plenty of excess from this one. Mm-hmm. Written by Mark uh, uh Colin Garland, sorry, Garland, uh, the guy who wrote um, Sunshine and The Beach, and Alex yes. Garland. Alex Garland. Uh, directed by Mark Romanek, who was an interesting director as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got that for next week. We talked about Promising Young Woman. We talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumanium, and Devotion. It was the Jonathan Major's double bill. Um, next week, we have got Never Let Me Go. And we'll have another two movies and binge 
browse and burn as always. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Good night. Good night.